With Marketing and Technology Today, there's opportunity for companies large and small to move quickly and adapt and gain insights from their customers in ways that we never have before. In this week's episode, we bring on a guest who shares their 10-year story of moving through innovation and driving demand based on customer insights and what's happening in the marketplace. They work for a large manufacturer. Their story is a great testimonial for how you can be quick to change and adapt depending upon what your market needs. This is an awesome episode, I think inspiration for large and small manufacturers and how you can continue to innovate, grow, and use your marketing to become a competitive advantage. All right, with that, let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Smarter Building Materials Marketing Podcast, helping you find better ways to grow leads, sales, and outperform your competition. And now, here are your hosts, Zach Williams and Beth Popnikoloff. All right, everybody, welcome to Smarter Building Materials Marketing, where we believe your online presence should be your best salesperson. I am Zach Williams, alongside my co-host, Beth Popnikolov. And today we have an awesome show for you. We've got a, an old friend and I guess now a new friend, right? We've, we knew each other for a while and we've gotten reconnected from the show. Uh, we've got Daniel Gills on the show with us today who works for Yale Lock slash Asa Abloy. Welcome to the show. We're glad you joined us. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So Daniel, for our listeners, why don't you just give us a little bit of an overview of your role, your history, and the business you work at? Yeah, absolutely. I'm the Director of Business Development for Yale Locks and Hardware. Who Yale is, we are a manufacturer owned by a company called Asa Abloy, which if you look it up, it's about 400 companies globally that do nothing but manufacture products in and around access to openings and access to buildings. That's everything from a card that gets you into your building to the door, the hinge, the frame, the lock, the key. Anything on or around an opening is what we do and been with the company for almost 10 years. Have had a couple different roles, started out selling cylinders and keys, which, you know, you tell people, what do you do for a living? And you say, well, I sell keys. And they kind of look at you funny and it's like, wait, you can make a living doing that? And you say, well, show me your key ring. How many keys do you have on it? And people are like, wow, I guess somebody does have to make these. Um, so that company was Medico. And I started literally right out of college. 2010, the job market was not so favorable for finding work. And I had student loans piling up. So found a company right down the street from where I went to school and launched into the door hardware business and haven't looked back since. That's really cool. And I imagine you're not the typical millennial because you've been with the same company for 10 years. I know you've gone from different role to different role, but that's something that I'm sure that they tremendously value, you know, as a kind of a side note and, and like looking at our culture today, that's pretty, it's pretty atypical, which is, is neat for you and probably their company that you work for too. It is neat. It's, it is somewhat unique. I guess the benefit though is Asabli's afforded me different opportunities. Every two or three years, I've gotten the chance to jump into something new, which you know, for young people trying to find out where you want to settle in and make a career, this has been a company that I never get bored with what I do because there's always a new opportunity, a new challenge, another division. So trying to break the mold of the millennial persona and, and try to stick with one group for my career if I can. That's really cool. So Daniel, you mentioned you've been with the company for 10 years. In your current role, can you tell us a bit about who you market and sell to? Yeah. So in business development, I, I get the luxury... I kind of describe it as one foot in the field and one foot in the factory. So when we're out in the field and who we ultimately engage with is everyone from 
institutional end users like a healthcare facility, a university or a school district. Obviously, they're the ones using our products every single day. But then you look at the chain of influence. You've got architects, you've got distributor partners, we've got dealers, integrators. So it's a wide variety of people that we market to and ultimately try to get our messaging and our solutions in front of them. On the sales side, we're, we're very deliberate with how we go to market. Uh, we don't sell direct to end users. That's the, the service, the value add that our channel partners provide. So we sell through primarily contract hardware distributors. So they would be the types of companies that do takeoffs or do all the project coordination for an institutional building that's got, you know, a hundred something openings. They're responsible for the doors, the frames, the locks. That's primarily where we go through. But we also have a, a very strong network of distributor partners who keep product on the shelf as well. And then locksmith dealers, we try to call them security professionals because there's a big gap between Joe Blow locksmith and then a security professional locksmith company. And that's probably one of my favorite groups to work with. That's how I cut my teeth in the industry. And that group adds a lot of value for us because they're really the last person on a job site installing the product or correcting it. We focus a lot of time on developing those relationships with channel partners. Daniel, you know, as you're describing the different audiences that you're targeting, I'm wondering if, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but I'm wondering if how much of your conversations have shifted towards talking to the designer or architect, especially in the commercial projects. And the reason why I'm asking is like, if I look at the lock or in your case, you know, the different products that you sell, they weren't even necessarily like in the peripheral of what I care about. And now there's technology and there's design and I imagine that you're talking to these influencers and the project more, especially commercially. Are, are you seeing that in your role? Like just the shift of how product development has changed who you're talking to in the marketplace? A hundred percent. It's really, it, it escalates in that adoption of new influencers from the design side comes faster than we can keep up with some days. We spend a lot of time working on new designs, custom products, where a designer is getting involved in a project way earlier than our normal channel partner. When an end user is looking at what's this property going to be, how's it going to function, design is usually one of the first uh, elements they look at that with. And it's not the typical product. If you look at what we sell, a majority is standard, but most commonly found items, but more quickly growing and where we feel we can add a lot of value is those customer unique designs where if we can have a, a lever on a lock in a specific shape, somebody's willing to say, I want this, nothing else, and everything else this company can provide. So for us, we're willing to do some of the, the crazy one-offs that many companies would shy away from just because that allows us to offer them a package of products leveraging a unique capability we're willing to provide. It's so interesting that you're now dealing basically with part of a new channel as things progress and disruption takes place within the building materials industry. Can you tell us a bit more about some of the changes you've seen over the past 10 years? Yeah, in 10 years, it's changed dramatically and it's, it's really changed even in 12 to 24 months. Over the last 10 years, I, we're definitely at a point in early in my career, people always talked about security and convenience. In our side of the industry, you can never have both. If you want something that's high secure, it's probably not going to be convenient. But we've seen a rapid shift in the commercial side to where people want very secure solutions that operate in a convenient fashion. And a lot of that is really driven on what people have at home in terms of security they want in their workplace. 
They want their phone to be the end-all, be-all for how they get into their house, they turn their lights on, but also how they get in their office and adjust the thermostat within their workspace. So that convergence of security and convenience and how products must be simple out of the box, people don't have time to sit and read manuals and, and dig deep, even a commercial setting, as to how your product should work. They just expect out of the box it's got to work perfectly and connect to different things. That's been a very rapid development. You look at 10 years back, absolutely, but now it's it's a necessity in the industry. And that's something that's really challenged the way that we develop products, solicit feedback on launching new products, and ultimately help add value to our end customers. I feel like this is the obvious question. I just think we can't talk to you and not talk about technology. Obviously, technology and smart locks are becoming more and more prevalent. But where do you see that going? Is there a saturation point? Are there instances where we'll never be able to go to a fully automated system in this instance? Or what hurdles are you guys overcoming in relationship to that? We talk about that a lot, and especially the business I started in, and Asablo still does very well with the mechanical lock and key. The mechanical locks and keys are not going to go away. There's always going to be a need for a physical key to go into a cylinder to access any type of, whether it's a residence or a a door inside of a building. But absolutely, you look at the adoption of electronics and technology in the locking hardware side, it's a bit stunning to see, but about 30% of our business now has a wire connected to it in some way, shape, or form. 30%. 30%. And that's growing very rapidly. But you look... Um, there's still 70% that's just mechanical by nature. Sure. There's a huge available market in a lot of competitors that are coming up more quickly. They, they've got unique technologies and different value adds. I'd say the thing that we try to focus the most on, though, is when you look at electronic locks, we are only one part of a security plan within a building. So your products have to be harmonized with other components, other systems, and people don't want to have to manage multiple platforms. They want that. I go into work, I log into this system, and my whole security network is set up right in front of me at my fingertips. So that's the challenge for us is to find those value-add partners that have unique solutions that we can ultimately engage with and kind of be that one-stop shop. You know, you bring up a couple of really good points here, Daniel, that I want to touch on. I'd love to understand a little bit more about how you all decide to go into, let's say, product innovation or product development, because you said something earlier about how you'll take on projects that other people won't. Like, are you doing that because you want to get in with a certain type of customer and that they may rebuy your, you know, more successful products? Or are you using those opportunities as not only new relationships, but new innovation? Like, talk to me a little bit about how you all target these people and how that's changed over time from a product development standpoint, too. Yeah, I'd say the reason we do it is is kind of twofold. It's on both of the things you mentioned there, Zach. Number one, it's new influencers that can help drive not only one piece of the product we provide, but an entire solution. So with Asabloy, again, providing the, the doors, the frames, the hardware, everything on around an opening, if we can do one thing that stands out and adds value in that project, there's a high likelihood that influencer will listen to us about everything else we can provide. So it helps pull through our total package on a, a given project. But in terms of the development side, that's an area where we do get a lot of solid feedback and we get product development involved early in a lot of these uh, customer one-off type applications to see what our capabilities are and if we can take that solution and scale it elsewhere within our business. 
you look how designs influenced our product development process. We had a project a couple years back where a customer was asking for a matte black finish. You see that a lot in residential, not so much in commercial. And now you look at a matte black finish. We did it as a one-off. We've now commercialized it to offer it as an everyday item. And it's our fastest growing finished product that we sell. Not the most. In commercial. In commercial. So again, the convergence of what people have at home, they want at work. Design is really at the heart of that. They want clean, unique looking and feeling products. And a, a matte black finish of all things came from an interior designer that wanted it. And now it's, it's showing up everywhere. I'm honestly shocked at how many uh, products we sell in a finish that started as a one-off. That's so funny. Do you look back like on your past 10 years and the innovation that's happened in your industry and, and the disruption? Do you look at that and go, oh my gosh, that was like an oh no moment or like, oh shoot. Like if we don't change or adapt, we're going to get disrupted. Like, do you have any, like, do you look back at your story and how your company has evolved? Like, have there been any of those moments or are you just all like you guys are just innovation, like to the core of your business. And that was never an issue for you. I guess it's tough to pinpoint it because innovation is what the company lives and breathes. We're constantly, some people call it the bleeding edge, but the leading edge of innovation. I think that's one of the things that makes us unique is we're willing to, to step out of our comfort zone and try new things. I mean, you look at the reason we've been so successful and we feel that we're a great you know, partner and value add supplier is because we offer so many common things, but also the value adds where we'll go out of our way to develop something for a specific application or market. At every step of that process, you're learning, you're tweaking, and that's really just built into the DNA of our product uh, development and leadership teams is to constantly innovate. And then, of course, we measure ourselves on sales of new products. So we've got a metric where we talk about sales of products launched within the last three years, and there's targets that we all chase after just to make sure we're constantly innovating and trying to uh, stay ahead of what our competitors are doing there. You know, Daniel, there's this report that got released recently by Gartner. I don't know if you've seen this report yet, but it was basically, I think it's like 2019 and 2020 CMO projections. And the two biggest areas that people are spending money, like CMOs across, you know, any industry, I was shocked by this, but it's market research, i.e. competitive insights. And the second thing is marketing analytics. So it's like literally insights. I'm like, what in the world are my competitors doing? And what's working for me from a marketing perspective right now? Like just digging into the data. And it sounds like your business, like that's just how you guys have always run, but you're also looking at what in the world is happening in the marketplace and you can leverage, you know, both residential to commercial and vice versa. And I just think that's a really important thing to note that you're listening to the market, but you're also trying new things to see if that might actually push the market as well. It's interesting you mentioned that, Zach, how you and I got even talking about business was a, a little pet project that we were considering taking on and wanted to get you know your thoughts and, and capabilities and understanding that. We spent a lot of money this past year investing in more digital marketing and advertising. The way I talk to my marketing contact, and she'll shoot me for saying this, but we're a hardware company that markets to hardware people in our traditional sense. And we are very much trying to break down those barriers and really start shifting our messaging in the way we market to the influencers, to the end customers with messaging that matters to them. As we're looking to launch a new product, we had started this marketing campaign and the responses we were getting just through AdWords searches and fill out a form to learn more about this were actually guiding and validating the thoughts and the ideas we were looking to build into this product. Thank you. 
Thank you so much. Like we talk about this all the time. I need to take that snippet and just send it to everybody because like customer insights is like so good to do market research. But if you can also just look in what's happening like in the marketplace right now, like what searches are happening, how that's driving traffic, how that's driving leads and you bring that in, like that's just so important. I love that you're doing that. That's great. People talk a lot about digital marketing, but I, I don't know if there's a knowledge gap or, or what, but I, I feel like people don't really know exactly what it means. It's a good PowerPoint word and it sounds attractive. But <laughs> Thank you so much because that's all we do. <laughs> no, but you guys help companies see the practical applications and, and walk through the process to understand where it adds value. And that's something that that was a light bulb aha moment for me. We're spending a lot of time coordinating with teams across the globe to launch a new product. And as we're soliciting feedback for an existing product, people are telling us if this product only did this or does your product do that? We're sending emails back and forth in our company like, oh, my gosh, this is what we're after for this new product launch that we're trying to get. This is what we need. How quick can we get this to market? I would say that if we looked back 10 years, like locks and keys, like they're some of the most straightforward pieces of a building. They're very locking mechanisms are actually very complex and super, super cool. But it's not something that people were constantly looking at being like, we've got to do something about this, right? But they're also one of the clearest points where disruption has infiltrated and almost like consumer pressure has caused a need for change. I'm curious if you see or you have an insight into other pieces of a building, other product categories where you expect to see that same level, like 30% is on a saturation just for you guys from technology standpoint is much higher than I would guess because it still feels novel every time we encounter it. Is there some other product category that you would put in the same level of technology will infiltrate this in the next 12 to 24 months in a similar fashion? You know, that's interesting. I, I don't have the best insights in terms of trends with other industries, but looking at the type of people we deal with, we're typically talking to a security departments, facilities departments, and the channels that help influence that. Outside of the door industry, I'd be speaking kind of over my skis on that one, Beth, honestly, than, than, than may, uh, may actually be happening. If I look at just how it's it's rapidly changing layouts of buildings, I mean, you look now, we sell doors. Doors is a primary piece of our business. And looking at doors and how they're changing, people don't want just a mechanical swinging door on hinges. They now want sliding doors or invisible doors. They want basically to have a glass partition that you just walk up to and nothing's uh, exposed. Everything's concealed. So it just looks like it's a wall. So in our side of the business, it's definitely, I guess, the traditional applications are evolving to more unique and decorative and seamless means of access. That's actually really interesting that design is pushing how things are used more than utility, which makes sense for our... Well, yeah. sustainability is driving a lot of that as well with daylighting mm-hmm. and, and trends for people to actually have access to natural light and buildings to not just be these envelopes with mazes all throughout them. Door hardware is a part of everything. You, you can't have an office without a door on it that people can shut and have some privacy. But the design of it, they don't want this clunky piece of hardware sitting on there in a downtown Manhattan office that they're trying to charge a market rate for. So it's definitely changed our game. That is one trend in the door industry where traditional products are at least being morphed into more seamless, aesthetically appealing uh, products. So interesting. 
How is this impacting your marketing though, Daniel? We're talking a lot about innovation and how the market from residential to commercials and vice versa is impacting your product development. How are you taking all of this innovation and all these new products and rolling it effectively into your marketing efforts to actually see results, maybe with new contacts or new verticals or new opportunities that you haven't yet cultivated or don't exist? So two fronts to that. When it comes to marketing, obviously, like most people in our industry, trade shows are a huge piece of our entire marketing strategy. That's where we launch new products. We coordinate strategic vendor meetings so people can see the latest and greatest. A lot of where we're trying to shift, obviously, digital being the key. It's a, it's a great way to get measured scale. And that's something traditionally we will always just send out product catalogs. And you have no clue who's touching what, who's seeing what from that. And it's, it's literally hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, just sent out the door that you can never track. So we're trying to innovate our, our marketing efforts more towards configurator tools, product selectors, videos. And even we've gone as far to put uh, vehicles on the road. So in every region of our territories with our local sales teams, they've got access to at least one, if not two vehicles that do nothing but circle those territories at planned coordinated stops to actually show people the latest and greatest products in a, a mobile showroom type application. So a, a big spend has been focused on physically taking our products out in front of the marketplace. Because you think about it, locks and keys and doors are not the most attractive things. People kind of take them for granted at times, but going to an architect's office or going to an end user's campus and having the different disciplines or different trades walk through there and see and touch and feel. Touch it, feel it. Yeah, absolutely. That's where we've seen a major pickup with our strategic customers and our targeted customers so that they understand the variety of solutions we offer. Zach, to your, to your question, it's the, the digital influence and the digital footprint that we can cast is something we're constantly chasing. I talk a lot to our marketing team and work very closely with them. We've got to be very application-based. People are too busy to sit and read through your product catalog, but they know when they see a picture or a video with our products in an application that's similar to what they see and deal with every day, it's more likely to resonate. So video and digital is hands down where we're investing most, if not all of our funds, much to the dismay of some of our channel partners and traditional customers who want a printed copy of something sent out. I would much rather just direct them to a website where we can kind of manage and warm up that lead all the way through the, the marketing automation process. Yeah, I like what you said there a minute ago about configurators and visualizers because we build a ton of those. And if I look at those tools specifically, the thing that the value that they bring is like if you launch a product or even if you launch a new finish like Matt Black, you can roll that out to the market and you can begin taking orders or specifications on that without having to redo your catalog, for example. And that feels like an obvious statement, but like you can get market intelligence on that. You can begin to gather analytics and you see, hey, does the market actually like this within the different tools that we're providing our audience to do their jobs more effectively, you know, which I think is very underutilized in the building product space. And I think that's something, you know, that we try to take to our channel partners as well is understanding what their digital footprint is. Just start somewhere. Start with your website. And we spend a lot of time investing in different uh, seminars and educational type pieces for our channel partners to help them market their business and services better. I encourage everybody to do an audit of your digital footprint. See how people are finding you. What does your website tell people? Do they even know, A, how to contact you? 
what you do and, and ultimately where you're located. Because if, if you're not doing those three basic things in this world of digitization and everything can be, you know, a couple clicks away, you're way behind the curve, but it doesn't have to be as overwhelming as you think. Daniel, this has been super, super helpful. I feel like I could talk to you for hours on this. Just hearing your story and how you guys have grown and embraced innovation, apply that to your marketing. What advice would you give those in the building material space who are saying, I, I need to take some of these steps. I want to innovate. I want to level up my marketing. What would you tell them? So it all starts with knowing your customer and what challenges or pain points they're going through as it relates to the services or products you provide them. It, coupled with that, I would really challenge people to, to focus on what makes them unique because everybody's got product, everyone has price, and everyone has service. But why is it that your company or, or your group can stand out and add value to someone differently? And a lot of it starts with how you're messaging the business, messaging the products, messaging the service, and really some of those unique value adds where you're willing to go out of your way or do something different than your competitors. Is that clear to your customer? And does everyone on your team understand and buy into that philosophy? So I think a lot of it just starts with the basics of marketing and understanding your digital footprint, whether it's your website, your collateral, you know, how you're capturing and managing leads overall and making sure that everyone in your organization buys into what makes you unique and why people should be doing business with you. I love that. So Daniel, this has been awesome. If someone wants to get in contact with you, what's the best way for them to reach out? Absolutely. Shoot me an email. It's daniel.gills at asaabloy.com. And Zach, please post it to the website. Would be more than happy to connect with the listeners out there. And just want to thank you and Beth for having me on. I've been a fan of listening to the podcast. And there's so many topics you guys hit on that we deal with and try to manage every single day. So it's nice to know we're not in this alone. And everybody's you know trying to do everything they can to keep up with all the requests and demands that come at us every single day. So thanks for having me and great job with the podcast and the content you guys have. It's definitely valuable to the listeners and I'm a fan and a subscriber for sure. Oh, thanks. Thank you. That means the world. And again, if you want more great content like this, like Daniel, go to our website, subscribe to iTunes. You can subscribe via email as well. But until next time, I'm Zach Williams alongside Beth Popnikolov. Thanks everybody. You've been listening to Smarter Building Materials Marketing with Zach Williams and Beth Popnikolov. To get the resources mentioned in this podcast, visit benvio.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening.